And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. David Ayers. He's Professor of Sociology in the Alva J. Calderwood School of Arts and Letters at Grove City College, Pennsylvania. He's also currently the Interim Provost and Vice President for Academic Affairs. Uh, Dr. Ayers, it's really great to have you on with us today. I enjoy being on here with you as well, Dan, and I I do, of course, have to issue the disclaimer as an officer of the college that what we talk about here are my own views and opinions, and um, they don't necessarily represent those of the college or its employees. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And, um, well, today we're going to be talking about Christian marriage, and uh, your book is finally coming out. I believe it's... uh, February the 6th is the date of your new book, and the title is Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. So um, that's an exciting thing, and uh, I know we've been wanting to have this interview once your book came out, so here we are. And uh, you must feel a certain lightness of spirit that this thing is finally done with. I do. I mean, um and actually, they accelerated it a little bit. It's already being shipped to the warehouses, and they moved up the official release for February 1st, but you can purchase it now. Uh, Christianbooks.com is selling it for twenty one ninety nine. But I spent a year and a half in the formal writing of the book itself, and then beyond that, indices and editing. It's 407 pages long, uh, in addition to the bibliographies and indices and, 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 and you know, pr- prior matter, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. So... It's a really substantial piece of work, a labor of love, a real passion for mine, representing over 30 years of teaching marriage and family and more years than that in terms of researching it. It sounds very significant. And um, to get us started, I'm going to follow just a little bit of the structure of the book, I think. And um, in part one of your book, you uh, named it God's Boundaries and Purposes for Marriage, Maybe you can get us started, uh, Dr. Ayers, um, by describing what is marriage. It sounds like a simple question, but uh, there's a lot of profundity to it, I believe. Well, there really is, and if you get that wrong, you get everything wrong. I I, I tell my research method students, and I got this from my graduate professors, if you can't define your terms accurately, you literally don't know what you're talking about. And... uh, a lot, of, a lot of what's out there on Christian marriage doesn't start where God starts, which is how does he define marriage and what are its purposes? And so then everything else, whether it's teachings on divorce or whether it's teachings on mate selection or it's teaching on marital adjustment or all these things kind of end up up in the air. They're not rooted in that a good marriage is what God defines as a good marriage, not what a modern American or, or we choose to define as a good marriage. A good marriage is what God defines as a good marriage, and it, it's a marriage that meets his definition and achieves his purposes. Yes. Which has the unique side in that each of us has to live out those purposes in our own unique calling and personality and our, our liabilities and our strengths, but those things, those purposes are also general um, and, and, and built in. Uh, to to humankind, so the the church used to pay a lot of attention to those things, and we used to dis- we used to say that uh, we used to distinguish, and that we still do in law between an annulment and a divorce. And an annulment is an act that claims that basically says that what we thought was a marriage wasn't really a marriage at all; that a true marriage never really took place. And that's one of the ways that we separate counterfeit marriage from from real marriage. Hmm. 
So that, that said, a marriage is a sexual relationship. It's one that's consummated through sexual intercourse. We've always recognized that. Um, marriages that are not consummated through sexual intercourse are in many states in the union and in many countries in the world annullable. Um, two men or two women cannot consummate a marriage in that sense. Uh, a marriage is, um, a marriage is volitional. It's voluntary. A marriage undertaken with fraud or force is not a valid marriage. Um, you know, we could, we could go on with these types of things, but a marriage is a lifelong sexual union, um, between a man and a woman. And, um, it's one in which they're, they're normally expected, although obviously various things can intrude, that within this relationship, they find sexual satisfaction, friendship, uh, cure for loneliness, mutual helpmates, assistance in the meeting their calling, and procreation and the rearing of children, either through adoption or through natural reproduction. Is sometimes people say that marriage is a creation ordinance. Is that an accurate way to describe it, too? I think it is, and I think even even in the Christian church, we've gotten away from that. We, we think of marriage as something that we kind of decide what it is and what it's supposed to do for us. It's about individual goals and self-fulfillment and happiness and all that. But in fact, marriage is a covenant built for the human race from creation before the fall. And it's something in which we, we don't set the terms of it. There's some flexibility across cultures and people, but for the most part, the parameters and the structures are created by God, and we enter into that. And as a result, it, it, makes, it makes claims on us. It makes very substantial claims on us. We're not free to remake it uh, in our own image. Yeah, that's an excellent point. What about, maybe I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but uh, before marriage, young folks um, thinking about marriage, they want to get married. Um, any advice for them as they approach this very major step in their life? Well, first of all, they should refrain from premarital cohabitation and refrain from premarital sex. Um, it, this is We know that these things are related to much higher divorce rates. Um, they should really be intentional that they're looking for a, a partner for life, and that means that they're going to meet and date or whatever they want to call it, court different kinds of people, but they shouldn't really undertake series of very heavy physical romantic relationships and then break up with those relationships. You get used to that, and it's hard to stop doing that after you you know have a piece of paper and you're now married. Yeah. Um, the, the, the idea is, is um, there's these kind of general parameters that all of us need to fulfill in a marriage, but they're different for all of us. So, for example, I need somebody who's suitable to help me in my calling, but my calling is not your call. Um, I've, I've told all my children, you know, your spouse is not marrying me. They're marrying you, and you're a unique person, and, a, and an excellent husband or wife for somebody else might not be the right husband or wife for you. The fact that they're an excellent Christian and have great character and, and all that doesn't mean that they're the person that God has suited for you particularly in terms of person that you can be attracted to, a person that you can love for life, a person that you can really enter into a friendship different from every other friendship that you know. Um, and recreational dating really works against that in many ways because it emphasizes a lot of very superfluous kind of fluffy things. You know, is this person funny? Are they cute? Are they popular? That have very little to do with whether or not they're going to be an excellent husband or wife, 
you know, they have their, these kinds of, of concerns have their place, but they're not primary. What kind of father is this person going to be? What kind of mother is this person going to be? At some point in life, you know, is this somebody that's going to continue to take care of their grandchildren and, and be able to, to love you as you enter into sickness and old age and death? Yeah, and it's, um, I, I think a younger person will f- sometimes fall into the trap of um, saying, I, I have to find a husband or a wife really, really fast. And have you seen that happen? Yeah, and I think it can go in both directions. You know, the um, as Mark Regneris has pointed out uh, in some of his writings, and, and, you know, he always gets controversy when he points this out, and, and um, Russell Moore has pointed this out, too, in some of his works. Uh, some parents are almost insisting on unnecessary delays in marriage, and then they kind of turn a blind eye to the sexual relationships that often develop when you force normal healthy young people to wait until their late 20s or 30s to get married, right. uh, not because they need to find the right person, but because they have to have a perfect life already set up. They have to be able to have a mortgage on a home. They have to be able to have their career all set up. Uh, and right now, that's probably the bigger problem. But then on the other end, rushing into marriage is a really bad idea as well. And that's where wise counsel from friends and parents and family is important. Uh, that's where also good premarital counseling can really help look at some of those bottom line issues that oftentimes we miss when we're just caught up in a romantic feeling. So it's, it's, it's a real balance. We don't want to rush into it, but we don't want to delay it unnecessarily either. And marriage, I think, works better as a foundation for building our life if we have found the right person and we're mature and ready for it. Yes. Uh, rather than a caps, what, what it's become now is more of a capstone experience. When, when everything else is all taken care of, when I've got my doctoral degree and a great job and $100,000 in a bank and a mortgage, uh, then we'll get married. And, and, and then what ends up happening is people are sexually active and living together um, because they're really trying to do what God really is not asking them to do, which is delay marriage. You know, Increasingly now with men, it's in their early 30s, and with women, it's in their late 20s. Yeah. So it goes both ways. Yeah, definitely. One section that's huge, one area that's huge, and it's a section in your book, I should say, is divorce and remarriage. Can you talk with us, God's wisdom, uh, concerning that area? Well, first of all, um, Christians need to get serious about returning back to a biblical understanding of divorce and remarriage, and particularly remembering those things divorce and remarriage. So, for example, sometimes a spouse might need the legal protection of divorce, but but not really be biblically eligible for remarriage. And I, I try to sort through in a winsome, honest way different views on that um, and, and try to lay out what I think is, is ultimately the most biblical view. But I think beyond that, divorce is, divorce is heavily front-loaded. And most divorce is going to occur within the first 10 years of marriage. Uh, one of the ways we measure divorce rates is by looking at a cohort of people. Let's say everybody that got married between 2002 and 2005. And, and then after 10 to 15 years, how many of them are now divorced? And, and, and a rough rule of thumb is about 75 to 80 percent of all the divorces that are ever going to happen have happened by that point in time. So if a 10-year divorce rate for a cohort is about 39%, then that's probably going to come out to about a 50% for that cohort when, when others also go on and get divorced. 
Now, what that means is that what takes place immediately before and during the early years of marriage and with regards to simply the mate selection process are absolutely critical because most divorces boil down to a handful of identifiable reasons, poor communication, poor ability to manage conflict, poor ability to manage finances, uh, tending to get over their heads in debt, you know, and these are things that we can address uh, incompatibilities with regards to life goals, for example, children or, or, or finances. So these are all things that we can address in a very systematic way with, with people before they get married and, and get a lot of that stuff out of the way before they ever get married. And so the most important way to ultimately prevent divorce is what you do immediately before and immediately after you get married. And unfortunately, that's when you're most excited. That's when you're most in love. And, and so you're at your most vulnerable while you feel like you're at your least vulnerable. And that's something that I kind of tirelessly push. Uh, with my students, and it's one of the reasons that well over 10 years ago, I became trained and active in actually doing very systematic, evidence-based premarital counseling. Yeah, as you were talking, it just uh, pointed right back to that premarital counseling for sure. Um, Would you say that we have a divorce plague in America? I would say we do, and and, and a couple things that I would say about that. First of all, the, the divorce rate of pr- professing Christians is the same as everybody else's. Now, people get confused when I say that because then they'll look at statistics that show that regular churchgoers are a lot less likely to get divorced, and that's true. What they don't realize is that about 40% of professed evangelical Christians are not regular churchgoers. And in fact, many of them inflate their church attendance when they're polled about it. So in fact, Regular church going among professed evangelicals is even lower than the statistics or surveys tell us that it is. Uh, We know this from doing what are called validation studies. So I oftentimes will have students come back to me and say, you know, you said that Christians have as high a divorce rate as everybody else. But then I read this article that said that people that go to church regularly are, are... have lower divorce rates than everybody else. And I said, that's exactly right. You're assuming that evangelicals go to church regularly. Many of them do not. And there are many non-evangelicals who go to church regularly. And and as a result, they get a lot of the social support, moral training, and benefits that go with that. Um, So, um, you know, that that ends up becoming very important. In fact, regular church attendance is is strongly related to lower divorce rates. Mm. Um, so, so those kinds of things are, are absolutely critical. Now, we've all been told, and it's accurate, that the divorce rate is now declining and, and that it's no longer 50%, you know, which it was uh, at some point based on cohort research, uh, but it is no longer. And that's accurate. But that's because the marriage rate itself is precipitously falling. And less and less people are choosing to get married at all or delaying marriage endlessly. But what they're doing is cohabiting. And those cohabiting relationships are breaking up at an alarming rate. And cohabiting couples are just as likely to have children that they're raising in their household as married couples. So children are being affected by that. But I tell students this all the time. If you don't get married, you can't get divorced, right? So a cohabiting couple with three children who've been together 10 years and then break up, um, they're not going to show up in the divorce statistics. But those children and their lives are going to be devastated by that fact. And yeah. so what's happening is that marriage is just becoming a lot more selective. You know, successful, middle-class, educated people are getting married. 
uh, and other people are not increasingly. And that's, that's, by the way, one of the theses behind an excellent book by Charles Murray uh, called Coming Apart. Well, today we're talking with Dr. David Ayers, professor of sociology, Grove City College, about his new book, Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. And uh, Dr. Ayers, now let's go on to marital happiness and success. There's a beautiful order of Christian marriage that you describe in your book. Can you, can you share a little bit of that uh, with our listener today? Yeah, you know, I got the idea for the term beautiful order from reading, reading about the various interpretations of the word cosmos. Uh, and the word cosmos really, really states a couple of things. And, and this is this is from a non-specialist. So, you know, you get, you know, just take that into account. But cosmos, on the other hand, on the one hand, involves an order, a structure. But it's, it's an order and structure that's, in fact, inherently beautiful. And um, I, I, I sometimes compare uh, marriage to a geode where it seems kind of a plain, very simple human arrangement, just two people committed to each other, loving each other, sinning, um, and, and living out oftentimes difficult lives while they're usually raising children. But then when you crack that geode open, there's just wonder inside of it. And, and, and it's profound. So, for example, on the one hand, it's a simple human relationship. On the other hand, it's a relationship that Paul tells us is a mystery that reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. It reflects the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, it reflects a creative, intentional act of God where he personally took the woman and pulled her out of the side of the man. So, so it, it's an unbelievably profound kind of a thing. And, you know, marital happiness is based on, first of all, picking the right person, preparing well for marriage, and then building those things into marriage that are a regular part of living together and, and, and being really, in a sense, the best of friends and delighting in each other's company. And that means you're not refraining from sex unnecessarily for long periods of time. Uh, you're, 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 you're surrounding yourself with peers and friends and church members who are supportive of marriage in general and your marriage in particular. Uh, you're, you're, you're communicating well. You're handling conflict well. You're affirming each other's callings and, and destinies. You're putting the other person first and caring for them. Um, and, um, you, you know, one little quote that I like from, from Dickens' Christmas Carol is where uh, old Fezziwig is telling the young Ebenezer, you know, how wonderful it is to travel the rough road of life with the right female to help share the burden, eh? And it's, it's a beautiful quote because it's absolutely true. And for the vast majority of human beings that are called to the marriage relationship, that, that bulwark against loneliness and, and, and as we begin handling the, the inevitable uh, blows of old age uh, and, and death um, is, is absolutely critical. And, and the best marriage couples, their marriage gets deeper and happier as their life proceeds, even as they persevere through difficult uh, times. You know, my, uh, we, we had to care for my mother-in-law, uh, not had to, it was a delight to do it, but for six months. Uh, on hospice care in our home. She passed away about two weeks ago in our home uh, with my wife and her older sister present. And and to go through that and to really love this woman and see the kind of marriage she had and the kind of life that she had and the kind of children that she had and to be able to delight in that and learn from that and at the same time to be able to 
for me to be able to be there and support my wife and care for her and 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 and, and enable her to cry and to, to you know to do all those things that's that's part of what the beauty of this really is and there's no other human relationship that's quite like it that's quite a story i i didn't realize that you just went through that we did. And if anything, the kind of underscores for you when you're going through and all of us go through these kinds of things at some point, why marriage is important beyond simply a sexual outlet or personal fulfillment. It's when you go through times like that. Amen. Amen. In the last several minutes remaining, um, one of the chapters in your book, I think it's near the end, perhaps the last chapter, is Recommendations for the Church. Could you summarize a couple of those uh, while we still have the mic open here? Absolutely. And and my friend Nate Devlin, who's pastor of Beverly Heights EPC Church in Pittsburgh, one of the things he really liked that I did in that chapter as we kind of worked through the book and talked about it together was he said, Dave, you're recommending something that you just call normal Christianity. And I said, absolutely. Because good marriages are based on, 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 a, on a strong relationship with a local church marked by normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is you get to church every week, you're relating well to the people in your church, and you're serving them as well as opening up your lives to them and being served by them. You're enabling the pastors and the elders of that church to speak creatively and constructively uh, into your lives. You're developing positive friendships, and you're developing deep relationships with a few of those friends that hopefully will last a lifetime. Um, you're, you're dealing with sin. You're dealing with your fallenness. You're confessing it with each other. You're praying together, you're, you're, but you're also not doing that as a solitary dyadic unit in marriage, but, but in, in, in with your family and in fellowship with the people of God. And, and the normal church should really be helping people build strong marriages. They should have good premarital counseling programs. They should have good marital counseling programs. Uh, teaching on sound marriage and family life should be a regular part of the cycle of that church. Because without sound churches, it's hard to have sound marriages. And without sound marriages, it's really difficult to have sound churches. And that serves everybody, including the singles and those celibates who might never get married are still served by having that bulwark and those those anchors throughout their churches. Mm. So I just call it normal Christianity. That's beautiful. Well, uh, this is an honor today talking with you, Dr. Ayers. And the book is titled Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. And if a listener would like to obtain a copy, where can they seek that out? They can get it almost everywhere. I even found it on Target.com. <laughs> um, the one I'm kind of recommending to people is actually selling it at a, for $21.99 is ChristianBooks.com. They seem to be a great source. And if you sign up for the book, they'll either send it to you as soon as they have it in their warehouse or they'll email you when you have it in their warehouse. So just put David Ayers in their search engine. My book is the first one to come up. And it's an excellent source to get the book at a discount. That sounds good. And... Uh one last thing just popped into my mind. Um, suppose um, a younger person is listening right now and is interested in going to your college or at least checking it out and maybe going to it. How would they go about doing that, and what's the information there? Well, they go to www.gcc.edu, and they'd look at the information for prospective students, and a chat window will open up, and an admissions council will offer to speak to them. 
and then walk them through the process, including, you know, being able to visit us, campus interviews. And, and if somebody was to hear about the school and, and become interested in it through this radio show, I've sure hoped that they would look me up. I'm, I'm, I'm just upstairs from the admissions office, and I love meeting with, with parents and prospective students. Yeah, that personal touch means an awful lot. It um, does. Taking a trip to the school, seeing the folks there, and even walking the halls, maybe even sitting into a class and uh, just seeing what it's like. So uh, here's your contact, folks, <laughs> Dr. David Ayers, and he's uh, currently the interim provost Vice President for Academic Affairs at Grove City College. Uh, Dr. Ayers, any last word, any final comments you'd like to make? Well, just I really hope lots of people read my book, and particularly people who can absorb it and then use that as a basis for instructing and helping other people as well as building up their own lives. And I hope to see some of you here at Grove City College. Come and visit. We'd love to see you. Oh, that's great. Dr. Ayers, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. It was an honor to be on your show. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. How it must have been so lonely by my side We were building kingdoms and chasing dreams and left love behind I'm praying God will help our broken hearts align We won't give up the fight It's gonna take much more Than promises this time Only God can change our minds Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete Could we just be broken together? Shattered dreams And I'll bring mine Can healing still be spoken And save us The only way will last forever Is broken Just be broken together If you can bring your shattered dreams And I'll bring mine Can healing still be spoken And say